Okay, we've been in a series where we have been learning to walk with Jesus on pathways that the people of God have been walking for, for thousands of years, literally. And last week, we were learning to walk the path of Sabbath. Today, I want to invite you to walk with Jesus more closely and consistently through Scripture, through reading the Bible. So, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Uh, It's a a familiar text maybe to some of you. Maybe you've never heard it before. Uh, But to Luke 24, I invite you to find Jesus in the text. Luke 24, verses 13 to 33 It's in the Pew Bible, or you can turn to it on your device. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly uh, evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, you are always with us. 
You are always with us. And this morning, as we consider ways that we can walk a path with you in the myriad of things that we do in our, our, our day, Jesus, we're busy. Life is full. There are things to do. But Jesus, we know that you hold the keys to life. And if we miss you, we miss life. And so, Jesus, we're here. Our ears are open to your living word. Our hearts are open to your living water. So help us walk the road with you as we consider the scriptures and how they shape us day in and day out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in the story in Luke 24, we've got these two disciples, and they're walking a road to, to Emmaus, which is, uh, and they're coming from Jerusalem. It was about an 11-kilometer road, uh, and it would take about three hours to walk this journey. And, and the two disciples, they're distraught, aren't they? Their life events have them kind of in tatters. It's the first Easter weekend you may have picked up, and the Messiah that they had put their hopes in, Jesus, he had been crucified. He, he had been crucified on a Roman cross. He had been buried in a tomb, and three days later, we're told that some of his disciples found the tomb empty, and there were rumors that, that Jesus was actually alive. And so if you think about these two people, their experience, they were disoriented. They were disappointed. They were discouraged. We could add another. They were disbelieving. And life is often like that for every one of us. In, in all of the things that we do in a day, in a week, we feel this way at times. And so they're, they're walking, and then Jesus joins them. But they don't recognize him. Perhaps we could add another they're distracted. We're often distracted from Jesus in the stuff that preoccupies our life, aren't we? Then they tell Jesus all about what happened in Jerusalem, and Jesus simply listens to them. He's so patient with all of the stuff that we're preoccupied with, isn't he? But then Jesus speaks. And what does Jesus speak into our confusion? What does he speak into the disappointment and, and, and the discouragement that we experience in life? Well, he spoke to those people that day what he speaks to us. He spoke words of the Bible, words of God. Verse 27, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And we can't miss this. The scriptures, they point to Jesus. Every word in the word points us to Jesus. Every story that we read, it, it has a thread that has its beginnings with Jesus and is woven into a story that leads us to Jesus. He is God's word that is revealed to us. He is the living word. On a previous occasion, when, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, 
he ran into a series of, of religious leaders, and, and, and they were really angry with him because, because Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath day. We heard a bit about that last week. And they were pointing to the Bible, and they were saying, look, you've broken God's law by doing this. And Jesus responds to them saying, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What Jesus is saying is that the scriptures point to me. That's what he's saying. God's way, God's truth, God's life. Jesus says, I'm the focal point of it all. And if you want to know life, full and abundant life, if you want to taste it for yourself, then you need to open the Bible to see Jesus for yourself. That's what Jesus does with these two confused, distracted, disappointed disciples on the road to Emmaus. In the midst of their chaos and into their distractions, Jesus points to the Scriptures and says, Look, here I am. Here is what you're looking for as you walk this confusing path. Here is the answer. I am right here. And when the, we read the scriptures today, Jesus is still present. He's pointing us to himself and the life that is found in him. Mark this, church. The Bible isn't simply a story about Jesus. The Bible brings us into the presence of Jesus. Or at the very least, it makes us aware of God's presence to us. You see, just as Jesus was present with these two people on the Emmaus Road as the scriptures were read, Jesus is present with you through the Holy Spirit on the road of your life as you read the Bible too. In the Emmaus story, there's this moment, right? Maybe you caught it when I read the text. There's this moment that, that, that these people, they don't just hear the scriptures that are pointing to Jesus. They realize that he is actually there, that he's with them. Verse 32, it says, And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Their hearts burned within them. They were stirred. You see, they didn't fully realize it at the moment. But God was personally with them. Jesus was with them. Everywhere we turn in the scriptures, we read about a God who is with us. A God who is with people. And we sang one of the songs that Eliot wrote, with us. You are always with us, God, standing by our side. Open up our eyes, Lord. We want to be revived. Everywhere we turn in the Bible, we read about a God who is with people. He was with Abraham and, and Moses and Esther and, and David and Amos and Michael and Mary and, and Paul. The refrain God speaks through the Bible is, do not be afraid, for I am with you. It's a refrain that's spoken to, to Isaac and, and Jacob and Joshua. God says, I am with you. 
It is echoed to Sarah and Hagar in the desert. I am with you. It is spoken through Jeremiah and Zephaniah and Haggai. God says, I am with you. No matter the road you find yourself walking, the God of the Bible is the with us God. And you know how the story goes. Then the living word. We have the living word. Are you ready for this? The living word, it becomes a person and makes his dwelling among us. The I am with you God came to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. The one they called Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. The word became flesh, as the apostle John put it. And when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father, Jesus said to his disciples, what? (laughs) I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, the Bible isn't simply words about Jesus. It is the means by which the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the presence of Jesus in our world and in our lives. He is the I am with you God. And so the author of Hebrews can say, the word of God is alive, it's living and active. And the apostle Paul can say, all scripture is the very breath of God to us. Learning to read the Bible in in the myriad of the things that, that our lives are preoccupied with, week in and week out, it not only points us to Jesus, it can be a meeting place with Jesus. A place that brings us into a greater awareness of his presence. Not simply when we're in a building on a Sunday morning, but as we walk through our day, as we work, as we go to school, as we, as we speak to our neighbor, as we drive our car. For Christmas, um, someone bought me one of these bobblehead dolls that you put on your, um, your dash when you're driving, and it's of Jesus. I mean, when you're thinking, what do you get a pastor for Christmas? Like, I guess that's what comes to mind. It was a family member, by the way. You know, a bobblehead Jesus doll, and maybe it might feel a little sacrilegious. The intent wasn't, but uh, I mean, that's the thing. Getting Christmas gifts, this is an aside, of course. Uh, Getting Christmas gifts sometimes uh, for a family member who's a pastor is hard. I got a a, a T-shirt from Gina's grandma once that said, The Sermonator. And, uh, yeah, and so I don't wear it in public, so just uh, so you know, that would be really, really weird. And so anyways, uh, for Christmas, I got this Jesus bobblehead doll, and and, and last night, Sophia, my daughter, she was holding it in her hands, and she walked in uh, to the room I was in, and she said, Dad, Jesus is with me. She must have known the first half of my sermon. (laughs) And I responded to her, and I said, yes, Sophia, he is. But now the question is, are you with him? Don't miss this, church. The I am with you, God, extends an invitation to every person on the face of the earth, and the invitation is this, will you be with me? Richard Foster writes, every story in the Bible No matter its twists and turns, whether the human characters are trustworthy or untrustworthy, whether the story is sad or happy, it is built on the clarion call to relationship. I am with you 
Will you be with me? Through the pages of the Bible, Jesus is inviting each of us, will you be with me? Will you walk the road of life with me through the pages of my living word? In the last book of the Bible, the revelation of Jesus Christ, there's this community of faith, these disciples who, who live in a city called Laodicea. And God has a word of rebuke for this church, for these disciples, because sometimes that's what love looks like. It's a corrective word of rebuke. And God rebukes these disciples saying, saying this. This is in Revelation 3, verses 15 to 16. It says, I, I know your work. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Here are, are some disciples that, that have lost their, their way. They've lost their passion for God. Followers of Jesus that had, had at once lived with this excitement for the Lord, with, with this white-hot passion to be with him and to serve him in the world. But somewhere along the way, the passion waned. Right? The, the fire died out. The living water was, was lukewarm. It wasn't stirred. And that happens. It happens to every disciple of Jesus. Did you know that? That there are times in our life, having once been on fire with God and for God, the fire becomes merely an ember. It's still there. But we feel like we're going through the motions of faith. And maybe that describes your life with Jesus today. And what we need to hear is, is what the living word says next to the church in Laodicea, because these words bring life. Jesus says to these disciples, Here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if... Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they will be with me. And friends, do you hear the with us God inviting you in through these words? I am with you. Will you be with me? Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Open the door. I'll come in and give you life afresh today. I will restore your passions. I will renew your faith. I will restore your life. Just open the door. How do we open the door? Well, we open the book. Yes, we open our hearts. That's what Jesus wants. He wants your heart. But when we open the book with an open heart, we are saying yes to Christ's invitation. Will you be with me? Yes, I will, Lord. Friends, let me suggest to you that, that if your life with God feels at all out of sync, like you've lost momentum or, or passion or there is no fruit, then it may be time to open the door by opening the book again. Not simply once, but regularly, frequently, consistently, 
And maybe you're here this morning and you're hearing all of this today and you're thinking, but I've tried that, Keith. <laughs> We've all been there, right? I, I've tried reading the Bible, but, but nothing seems to happen when I read it, right? <laughs> I don't get anything out of it, you might be thinking. Right? Sometimes we fall asleep trying to read the Bible. Let's just uh, say that. <laughs> and I understand the objection. I, I really do because I've been there. But the question is, what do you expect to happen when you read the Bible in the morning for a few minutes or in the evening before you go to bed? What, what do you expect to happen? What do we expect to get out of it? You see, sometimes I think we've got this impression that if we read the Bible, that the heavens are going to open, Jesus will descend, and we will become these enlightened saints in the moment, right? Like Moses, who, who comes down the mountain and his face is glowing because he's seen the glory of the Almighty. <laughs> and sometimes we expect that that's what it should feel like or be like. And, and if you're expecting that when you read the Bible, you're going to be disappointed every time. You see, the, the Bible is powerful, but it isn't magic. Jesus is present to us through the Scriptures, but not in flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. Rather, most often, he is present to us in a gentle whisper. A whisper that we need to learn to hear. And it takes time. It takes patience and practice. And so if you're just starting out, or, or maybe you, you've been down the road a bit, and you've, you're, you're not walking the road of, of, of meeting Jesus in the Scriptures let me give you a piece of advice. Be patient with yourself. Be patient. God speaks through a whisper sometimes, and we need to be consistent to learn to hear it, to learn to meet with him. You can think of it as learning to run an, a marathon, not a sprint. And often we want to get to God as fast as we can and get on with our day. And so I want to use the time uh, that, that I have left here to, to help you grow in, in how you read the Bible because uh, I want to get quite practical or as practical as Keith Whitaker gets, I guess. Um, I want to help you uh, uh, in how to read the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says this. It says, The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I want you to see the scope of where God's word is active in a person's life. Look at what Hebrews 4 says. There's soul and spirit. There's joint and, and marrow. There, there's the thoughts and the attitudes of your heart. I think what Hebrews is getting at is God's word permeates the whole of a person's life. So with this in mind, I want to suggest to you very practically that we can learn to read the Bible in three different ways, or, or particularly with three different parts of the body, our head, our heart, and our hands. Our head, our heart, and our hands. And I'm going to explain each in a moment, but, but I wonder this. I wonder if you need to pay attention to one of these ways of reading the Bible today. Maybe it's one that you've never learned before. Maybe it's one that's just anemic in your life. You've done it before, but you're out of the habit. 
because we can read the scriptures and meet Jesus in it in different ways. First, disciples need to learn to read the Bible with our heads. This is absolutely necessary. That is, when we read, we need to understand what we are reading. Because if we don't, that's when things go very wrong. We can read with our head to understand what it means. Albert Einstein has said, any fool can know. The point is understanding. And when it comes to reading the Bible well, in a way that helps us encounter the presence of Jesus, it's not enough to simply know the story we're reading. We really need to understand it in a greater way. Years ago, I was officiating my best friend's wedding uh, in England. He was living there. And, and when I, I went to, to meet his extended family, they were kind of interested to meet a pastor because, as they said, they weren't a church-going folk. And one of his cousins was particularly interested because he was writing a children's story based off of Genesis chapter 1, the story of creation, the, the, the creation narrative in, in Genesis 1. And so I asked him all about his book. I said, tell me about the book. And he rattled off the plot line of what you might expect from Genesis 1. He said, God created the world and the animals and the people, and everyone lives happily ever after. Well, he didn't read Genesis 3, of course. <laughs> he knew the creation story. And so I asked him what he thought the story meant. And he simply laughed and said, what does it mean? Well, it doesn't mean anything. It's simply a story. And I started to explain that Genesis 1 was written like a Hebrew poem. And it has all these details about, uh, that, that tell us what's most important in the story. And, and it's about God's desire to intimately live with the creation that he made. Chief among it, people like us. People made in his image. People with his fingerprint on them. And he laughed again and said, it's not a poem. It doesn't have... A hidden meaning, it's a children's story. You see, there is a difference between knowing and understanding. And when it comes to the Bible, the more that we understand, the more likely we are to see the Jesus who stands behind every word in his book. And at times, we need a little help here. We need help to understand, especially if we are new to following Jesus. And some of you are new to following Jesus. And so very practically, here's what I recommend, is that you find a pocket of time in your day, even if it's just 10 minutes, to read the scriptures. But if you want to grow in understanding, a real simple thing to do is, is simply to pick up a study Bible. And it comes with little notes in there that help you understand the bigger picture, who it's written to, why it was written in the, in the various pieces, what was going on in the context, what some of the words mean. It helps us understand what we're reading, and maybe this is where you need to go. Or let me recommend to you, uh, very practically, the Read Scripture app. This is a great app. It helps you read Scripture. It gives you some context through some of the Bible Project uh, material, which some of you might be familiar with. It helps you on a daily reading plan to get the big picture of what the Bible means. It helps us understand two practical things with reading with our head, but we don't simply read the Bible with our head. We need to read it with our heart as well. Why? Why is... Simply reading with the head not enough. Why do we need to read with the heart? It's because reading Scripture is not the same as listening to God. 
Let me say it again. Reading Scripture is not the same as listening to God. Understanding the Bible is not the same as being transformed by it. And transformation is the work of the heart. King David, he wrote a poem to God in in Psalm 119, and he says this in it. He says, Oh, how I love your law, O God. I meditate on it all day long. I don't know if there's any laws that you like to meditate on yourself. Uh, Maybe you meditate on the speed limit laws when you're stuck behind a slow driver. It's when I really met it. This is just a silly law is what I say. And then when someone's driving past me in the snow, 100 miles an hour, I'm thinking, this is a silly law. So it goes both ways. Depends who you're stuck behind. But David here, he, he meditates on God's law. For King David, he understood that God's law was a way to keep this relationship with a holy and loving God. God's law to David wasn't a list of do's and don'ts. The law, meaning the first five books of the Bible, actually, are all about living with God, a God who loves the people that he made and is going great lengths to to redeem them, to restore them, to bring them back to his heart. And so David would would meditate on God's law. And and, and through this meditation, he'd reflect on God's character, on his goodness, on his ways. And as he ruminated on Scripture, it transformed the kind of person that he was becoming in the world. Because that's how it works. Reading with the heart is the difference between reading to understand and reading to hear. And both are important. A person can understand what the Bible means, but still not hear it as God's personal word to them. Because it is God's personal word to you. And when we learn to chew on Scripture, when we learn to slow down and meditate on God's word, we begin to hear it as a personal word to us. Reading with the heart is done slowly, deliberately, prayerfully, Reading with the heart moves us from the world of information into the world of transformation. And it makes us into something that we're not. It results in fruit. And when we read with the heart, it results in things like confession, repentance, and obedience. It grows fruit like love, where we were previously unloving, and joy, Peace and patience and kindness, and the list goes on. And perhaps you're used to reading the Bible with your head. And really what you need today is learn to read it in a new way with your heart. And there are a few things that can help you in in, in this renewed way of reading. A few weeks ago, Pastor Rick spoke about the spiritual practice called Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina is a way of reading the Bible with your heart. It's slowing down to to chew on God's word and and listen for for God's personal word to us. And if you want to grow in this area, let me very practically suggest another couple apps. The first one is called Lectio 365. It's something you can download on your phone. Find a space, a time, and it can guide you through that to hear God's voice for yourself. 
Or uh, another app that my daughter actually recommended to me this week, it's the Glorify app. Uh, and uh, it can guide you on a way of entering God's word and slowing down to listen, to listen with your heart. Which brings me to the third way disciples read, need to read the Bible. And, and let me say, we need to read all three of these ways, not just one. We need to read it with our hands. Jesus had a half-brother on his mother's side. Think about it. Jesus had a half-brother named Jesus, or sorry, named James. And James was about as practical and straightforward a person as they come. And James says this, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The King James Version translates it, or the New King James translates it as, Be doers of the word and not hearers only. (laughs) I like that. We read the Bible with our head to understand, with our heart to hear God's personal word to us, and we read it with our hands to do what it says. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Imagine a mother that often gets impatient with her children and yells out of her anger when they get loud and excited. I can imagine this because uh, this was me when I had young kids. Sorry, my children in here. (laughs) But imagine a mother that gets this way. That parent, she can read the scripture with her head and understand that God is slow to anger. And she can even read the scriptures with her heart and hear Jesus tell her personally to be slow in her anger toward her children when they go wild. But the word of God is not complete in her until that moment when anger arises and instead of yelling, she hands it over to God and walks a different path. That's what it means to read the scripture with our hands. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And the truth of the matter is lots of us, we're we're good at reading the Bible with our heads and, and we're good at reading with our hearts, but when it comes to our hands, our hands have never really seen action. It's where the scriptures kind of end for us. And perhaps this is where God is inviting you to read afresh by willfully and willingly being obedient to do what the Word says to you. And if you need to learn to read with your hands, there is no app for that. (laughs) I checked. (laughs) There is only action. But here's what can help. Tell other Christian friends about what God is speaking to you. Tell your circles of people what Jesus is saying to you as you meet with him as you read the scriptures, and they'll hold you accountable. They'll lovingly encourage you to follow through because that is our job as fellow followers on the journey. Jesus is the with us God, and his invitation to you this week is, will you be with me? Open the door. Open the book. Let's pray. Jesus, you want 
all of us. Not simply all of us in this room and all of us in this city and all of us in the world that you made, but you want all of us, the whole of us. And so, Jesus, I pray this week as we carve out space and time to do what is most important, and that is to walk a journey with you. I pray that you would reveal your presence in our life. Jesus, I pray that that gentle whisper would be just maybe a little bit louder so that we know that you're with us. And that, Jesus, I pray in the days ahead you'd help us to read the Scriptures afresh, maybe in a new way, whether it be with our head or our heart or our hands. We pray, Jesus, that you would make us into your people, that you'd make us into the church in every sense of the word. We love you, Jesus. We commit these things to you and pray them in your name. Amen.